Well, welcome to A Reason for Hope, where we take your questions about the Bible, about the Christian faith, uh, really anything you want to ask, as long as you're sincere about it, and as long as you, uh, it's related to the Bible. There, are, This is a daily uh, live stream, and I'm here in studio with Pastor Scott Richards and Pastor Peter Martin. Uh, so glad to be with you all. I'm filling in for Dave Robson. He's a little under the weather, so I'm going to be pushing the buttons and hopefully... Uh, you can hear us and see us <laughs> successfully. And fielding the questions as they come on in as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's several ways you can connect with us. Uh, you can catch us on Facebook. We live stream to there every day. It's uh, Our Facebook uh, actual page name is CCF Tucson. So you can go to Facebook slash CCF Tucson, connect with us there. And if you're watching live, you feel free to leave your questions in the <coughs> chat, and we'll be happy to answer your questions there. Also on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. So if you just do a little search of Reason for Hope, you'll find us on YouTube. And you can also go to our website. That's Calvary Christian. Uh, fellowship.com and sit, hit the watch live button. You can watch us live there and also leave questions live in real time there as well. And uh, with, well, is there anything else, any other ways we can connect there that I've missed maybe? Um, well, we also have a, a Twitter feed available. If you'd like to get questions to us by way of Twitter, you can connect. Uh, I try to keep up with that on a uh, daily basis. Uh, maybe not as much as I would have liked to have today because of a lot of chaos going on. But we're available for you at Scott Richards at ScottR4H at Twitter.com. That's uh, the letter uh, uh, Scott, the letter R, the letter the number four, and the letter H. So uh, just look for us there, and uh, you can use that as an avenue for your questions as well. Well, awesome. Uh, Peter, would you like to lead us in a word of prayer before we uh, talk about today's opening topic and then, of course, get to your questions online? For sure. Uh, Father, we love you so much. We're thankful for just the amazing work that you're doing in and through us. Uh, I do pray for the circumstances happening on the, the global scene, and I do pray for this uh, session that we're able to speak in a way that honors and glorifies your word. Mm-hmm. Uh, that those listening would be blessed by this broadcast and uh, they would be deepened in their relationship with you and their capacity to defend their relationship with you to others. We're thankful for you, God, and in your name. Amen. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, a lot of crazy stuff going on um, in the world. As you know, we do prophecy updates on a semi-regular basis around here. And by prophecy updates, uh, what we try to do is rather than just covering all the crazy stuff that goes on in the news, we try to focus in on uh, those issues and circumstances in the world that uh, directly uh, pertain to uh, what the Bible paints in terms of a picture of uh, the last days, the end times, what the world's going to look like uh, leading up to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As such, we tend to focus in on Israel. Uh, We tend to focus in on uh, some prophecies that were made about uh, Israel's fate in the last days, the end times, specifically in Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, the uh, Russian-led invasion of Israel that's prophesied there with Iran being one of the major uh, allies of Russia uh, going into uh, the Middle East and attacking Israel. When their guard's down, uh, we do believe that uh, the, the fact that Israel will have their guard down places this particular event in the final seven-year period of time called the Tribulation. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we can't see a lot of the pieces of this puzzle coming together on the world scene in front of us. Uh, As we like to remind you, uh, as far as the the, uh, countdown to the return of Jesus is concerned, uh, I think our good friend Don Stewart was the first one I heard express this, but uh, Israel is God's hour hand. 
Jerusalem is the minute hand, and really the events surrounding the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is the second hand. And so we try to focus in on these things and what's going on there. The other uh, passage of Scripture uh, we focus in on as far as uh, prophecy updates are concerned is in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus said that there would be certain signs that would function almost like birth pains. He said they would be the beginning of sorrows. Among them are wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, plagues, and pestilences in various places. And as far as uh, the uh, labor pains are concerned, uh, as you know, with labor pains, uh, labor pains uh, will build up and uh, seemingly come to a crescendo and then level off for a time. They will increase in frequency and intensity as the big event draws near. So uh, there are a number of uh, wars and rumors of wars things that went on over the weekend that we think are constituting right now Mm. Uh, one of these labor pains, uh, we're seeing uh, the idea of uh, global conflict, uh, particularly global conflict that does, at least in some manner, uh, affect Israel, does definitely affect some of these players uh, that we uh, see identified in Ezekiel 38 as part of this Gog and Magog invasion of Israel in the last days, uh, especially as it pertains to Iran. Uh, as uh, many of you know, Iran has been uh, going through some domestic turmoil uh, as of late. O- over 200 people at a minimum that we know of have been executed by the government because of an uprising that began when uh, one woman refused to wear the hijab, the mm. uh, Islamic head covering. And uh, that uh, seemingly constituted and ignited uh, a, a huge uh, protest against uh, the the current regime, uh, the uh, current uh, prime minister of Iran, uh, basically a very bad actor who, uh, especially during the days after the takeover of the Ayatollah Khomeini, was essentially the hatchet man, went out and uh, executed uh, thousands of individuals who were part of the opposition to Khomeini during this time. Well, now he occupies the role of prime minister uh, in Iran. And uh, this, uh, this backlash against this particular government is, is being uh, slapped down pretty hard. But uh, interestingly, it doesn't seem to be cur- uh, curtailing uh, the ardor that uh, the Iranian people have, the uh, objection they have against uh, the current Iranian government. So that's going on in this world. Uh, Another interesting detail that pertains to Iran and by extension to Israel. Remember, every Friday in Iran, there is a government-supported and funded protest in front of the uh, Iranian government headquarters uh, against uh, the great Satan and the little Satan. Uh, The little Satan is Israel, believe it or not. The great Satan is the United States. The reason we're number one is because uh, the Iranians are still smarting uh, for the fact that uh, uh, way back in the 1950s, uh, Iran uh, had gotten its uh, independence. Uh, they had elected a, uh, a, a prime minister who was very much uh, pro-Islamic in his orientation. But uh, the United States and Great Britain, because of their interest in the oil rights in Iran, Uh, deposed this individual from power and put the Shah of Iran, uh, Shah Riza Pahlavi, uh, on the the throne, Uh, a pretty repressive government uh, 
that uh, uh, governed things in Iran for roughly around uh, 30 years before he was deposed by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, so uh, that's why the uh, Iranians really have it in for the United States, aside from the fact that from a Muslim point of view, we seem to be the, uh, the source of uh, incredible corruption and degradation in the world, and it's kind of hard to argue with their point of view about all of that. Uh, you know, they, they may have a point as far mm. as the United States being the number one <clears throat> purveyor in the world of pornography, for instance. Uh, we make that available to everyone, and uh, that offends Muslim sensibilities to a certain extent. Uh, there are <laughs> certainly some exceptions to that rule. Peter, you could probably uh, address that. But, but the, the, the bottom line is this. The little Satan, Israel, is an affront to the Iranians uh, because they believe that any territory that once was part of Dar al-Islam, that is uh, territory that was controlled by uh, Islam in this world, that falls into the hands of infidels, non, uh, non-Islamic individuals, is a direct affront to Allah and is a shame to every observant Muslim. Well, there's no uh, more uh, vivid picture of that kind of affront than Israel itself. That's why the Iranians want to destroy what they call the Zionist entity. And uh, the other thing that you have to understand about what's going on in the Middle East is that uh, there's only one uh, group that uh, Iran despises more than the United States and Israel. It's uh, Saudi Arabia and the Sunni Uh, Muslim nations that are there in the Middle East. They consider them to be apostates, uh, heretics. Uh, They uh, consider their form of uh, Shiite Islam to be the only true form of Islam. And so that's why you see like nations like Saudi Arabia uh, being very nervous about Iran's pursuit of a nuclear weapon. Uh, Iran's main desire is to have that kind of leverage and be the 800-pound uh, military and economic uh, gorilla in that particular region. So uh, if you think Israel is worried about uh, Iran and their nuclear ambitions, Saudi Arabia, uh, the other Gulf states, Egypt, uh, those nations are even more worried about Iran pursuing these sort of things. Well, interestingly, uh, we've seen uh, the so-called Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, as it is called. Uh, The Obama administration pursued this as far as uh, trying to tamp down, if you will, Iran's nuclear ambitions. Well, all this this agreement would have done is restrict Iran's ability to enrich uranium to weapons grade until the year about uh, 2028. And, 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 you know, time keeps on ticking into the future, uh, even if they were... Showering them with money. <laughs> yeah, even if they were to uh, to postpone till then, uh, Iran uh, is has made it very very plain that uh, they are about the business of enriching uranium to uh, right on the edge of weapons grade uh, levels. If they haven't already, uh, they've kicked out the International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors. They've disconnected uh, camera monitors uh, that were there to be able to observe. Uh, their uh, their pursuit of a nuclear weapon. So, uh, you know, every time that happens, there's a lot of hand-wringing, but we keep coming back to this nuclear agreement. We keep uh, our State Department 
and the current administration uh, believes that this is really the way to pursue peace in the Middle East. Now, <clears throat> the idea that the Iranians could uh, turn around and uh, within six years uh, have no restrictions whatsoever on their enrichment of uh, weapons-grade uh, nuclear uh, materials uh, seems to make this whole thing kind of a non-starter. And Israel realizes that. Uh, the Saudis certainly realize that. And that's why they are opposed to this sort of thing. Uh, because of all the controversy surrounding this, uh, a very interesting article in the All Israel News uh, website ran today uh, that uh, stated that the Biden administration has made a decision to pause negotiations with Iran on the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action until the coming election, coming up on November 8th. Uh, there's two elections coming up that I think could have real significant impact uh, upon the world as far as seeing uh, this birth pain of uh, conflict in the world, military conflict in the world, uh, go beyond where it already is right now. Uh, not just our November 8 elections uh, in terms of uh, the disposition of the Senate and Congress. It does appear from uh, polling that uh, this is going to be a quote-unquote red wave that is going to happen. In other words, uh, there was some speculation that the Republicans would probably control the House. That's pretty traditional uh, when a, uh, the opposite party gets the presidency. The other party tends to win the House. It just seems to work that way. Americans tend to like sort of the checks and balances thing. But uh, most uh, of the pollsters seem to indicate that the uh, Democrats had a great uh, chance at uh, retaining their majority or coming to a 50-50 split with uh, the vice president, who was a Democrat, uh, casting the deciding vote in the Senate. Now it appears that that's not the case. It appears mm -hmm. that the Senate and the House are moving towards going Republican. Now, you never know until the final polls are in, how this sort of thing is going to go. But uh, when that sort of thing happens, that's going to, in a sense, uh, ham hamstring our current administration uh, in terms of conducting this neg negotiation with the Iranians. Uh, you know, something like this is going to have to uh, pass the Senate by treaty uh, if it's going to be fully enforced. Mm. So, you know, it doesn't bode well for all of this. And, and as you might imagine, uh, this has created just an incredibly convoluted, uh, almost uh, Monty Python-esque uh, series of events that are going on politically right now. On the All Israel News site, uh, <laughs> they talked about why this is, it, it's a good thing that uh, this deal has been put on hold. This is why. A stalemate, and this is from the All Israel News website, is good news as Russia is negotiating on our behalf on the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Do you realize what that means? Iran will not talk to us about the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the nuclear deal, because we're the great Satan, and it would be considered very shameful for them to negotiate with the great Satan. So... Who is their proxy who negotiates with us? It's the Russians. Well, hold on a sec. What's going on right now with the Russians? Well, right before airtime, some <laughs> really uh, bizarre things are happening right now. Uh, and, and Peter, you 
probably have uh, a far greater understanding of the implications of all of this. The 101st Airborne Division, for the first time since World War II, has moved its headquarters from the United States to Europe. Its headquarters is now located in the country of Romania, which is a NATO ally. Uh, as such, the 101st Airborne, the so-called Screaming Eagles, the sort of tip of the spear as far as uh, the Army is concerned, uh, you know, their, their uh, 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 avenue for uh, the, the quickest kind of mobilization, the, the, the quickest kind, paratroopers, these sort of things, being able to enter into a fight, is now uh, stationed and is conducting live fire drills less than 200 miles from the Ukrainian border. Uh, there are also 4,700 other uh, members of uh, the armed services. I don't know if these are Marines or Army uh, troops, but there are 4,700 troops there on site within viewing range of the Ukrainian-Romanian border at this time. So, you know, you have some serious saber rattling going on at this particular time. To add to this, and we're going to come back around to how this pertains to Israel in just a second. But to add to this, if you're, you're keeping score at home, uh, the Russians have warned that it is possible that Ukraine is going to try to stage a false flag operation where they explode a dirty bomb on Ukrainian soil and blame it on the Russians. Now, a dirty bomb is, uh, is it's not really what we would call a nuke, per se, but it is a large explosion that is encased in uh, radioactive materials that not only causes destruction in a particular place, but spreads nuclear fallout over a large area. Uh, the Russians say that the Ukrainians are going to try to do that and blame it on the Russians and say, oh, see, they've gone nuclear. NATO needs to come in and go to war with the Russians. Uh, the Russians have said, no, this is what the Ukrainians are trying to do and blame on us. Immediately after that, the Ukrainians said, no, 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 the Russians want to use their nukes and they are trying to confuse people and blame that on us. We would never do such a thing. Although the Russians have talked quite a bit about the possibility of using tactical nuclear weapons in their increasingly uh, almost bizarrely ineffective uh, campaign uh, against the Ukraine. So where does that leave Israel in all of this? Well, where that leaves Israel in all of this is that the number one negotiator on this joint comprehensive plan of action that is supposedly designed to prevent the Iranians from getting the bomb. And if Iran gets the bomb, I need to tell you this, uh, not to scare anybody, but there is no doubt in my mind that they would uh, not hesitate to not only blackmail nations in that region with the possibility of them using the ballistic missiles they've developed and using the bomb to attack. But I also do not believe they would hesitate to use that bomb against their enemies, not just the Gulf states, but against Israel itself. Now, they would never use the bomb on a site like Jerusalem because they consider that a holy site in Islam. But there is nothing holy in their mind, say, for instance, about Haifa, 
which is one of the most important industrial uh, ports that Israel has, or even Tel Aviv. Uh, so the idea of using a nuclear weapon against these kind of sites against Israel is certainly not beyond the pale. So bringing it back to all of this, understand how crazy things have gotten right now. The only negotiator that we have with the Iranians are the Russians. <laughs> the same ones that are talking about, no, it's the Ukrainians who want to use a dirty bomb and they're setting us up to look bad. And the Ukrainians say, no, it's the Russians. They're going to do a dirty bomb attack and try to blame it on us. Uh, we have our troops almost in harm's way at this point. Uh, you know, And there were quotes again uh, beforehand about the general who's involved with all of this, who's gung-ho about going into Ukraine and by golly, we're going to show those Russians a thing or two and all this. And I'm like, Oh, my goodness. Talk about wars and rumors of wars on steroids. What does the Bible say about this? Here's my two cents worth. And, Peter, I'd invite your comments on this whole mess since you've spent time as a Marine in the armed services. You probably got a little bit uh, more up close and personal uh, tagged on this. What I think we're going to see happen is is what we've seen on a number of different levels. Uh, we're seeing the, inc the increase in intensity of these birth pains from Matthew chapter 24, starting to go through the roof. Uh, you know, I can remember doing this program and uh, wondering about, well, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, wars and rumors of wars and certainly earthquakes. I think about the tsunami disaster, uh, the earthquake that uh, took place in Indonesia that uh, created such incredible damage, uh, you know, across a wide spectrum. Oh, yeah, we've seen that. But I was going to, you know, I've never, what about uh, plagues in various places? I haven't really seen anything like, oh, gee, COVID-19. And I read before airtime, apparently uh, some uh, uh, lovely vir vir virologists at East Coast University are doing increased gain-of-function research on the COVID-19 virus <clears throat> and have uh, upped the ante on it. Uh, to such an extent that 80% of the mice exposed to new super COVID-19 died being exposed to this sort of thing. Oh, but don't worry. We take all the safeguards necessary to make sure this thing doesn't get... Why in the world are we monkeying around with something like this? What possible good could this do uh, to actually do this gain of research stuff and create these mutated viruses that... You couldn't do just by doing a computer simulation. Why do you have to have the real deal, so to speak? Well, plagues in various places, uh, the, the reality uh, of man monkeying with the DNA of various uh, viruses and so forth, uh, you know, we're seeing it. And, uh, you know, the two-year uh, shutdown that, uh, that we experienced worldwide as a result of a pandemic that, to me, constitutes a biblical birth pain. I think the next birth pain we're seeing is the wars and rumors of wars thing happening. Jesus said, when you see these things, uh, you, know, you know, don't let your heart you know, be troubled. Don't become hysterical. These things must happen, but the end is not yet. But they are God's not-so-subtle taps on the shoulder, his heavenly heads-ups that tell us that, boy, when you see these things begin to happen, look up where your salvation draws near. So I think the next big uh, birth pain, and uh, as, as far as the, uh, the idea of plagues go and things like that, some people said, well, you know, the AIDS epidemic was a, an example of this sort of thing. 
Uh, you know, some of the flus that were pretty devastating the world were an example of this sort of thing. Then we saw COVID-19, which was taking this to a whole new level. Uh, I think we've seen wars and rumors of wars, certainly. Uh, you know, both Gulf Wars, the Afghan conflict, these sort of things uh, involving uh, quite a bit of nations. Uh, Israel being attacked by their neighbors roundabout, uh, Hezbollah and, uh, and again, Hamas uh, being involved in these sort of things. But here I think we're seeing the wars and rumors of war things uh, starting to go through the roof. Now, Peter, you know, just looking at all of this, uh, do you have any comments on this, any, any uh, insights on in all of this? Is this just more saber-rattling, or are we going to actually see something come out of this? Uh, yeah, so I, my personal opinion on it, and this is a problem that I experienced when I was in the military itself. So I, I was in from 2008 to 2012, uh, and during that time, that's when Russia invaded Georgia, and we were on standby for that. So we fly to go to Afghanistan. We flew through a, a small country called Kyrgyzstan. And Kyrgyzstan is a place that we have a lot of bases and uh, various ways in which we fly people throughout the world uh, in this very important air base. So they were getting ready for some sort of a tactical response to uh, Russia's invasion of Georgia. But for the most part, it seemed as though uh, democratic governance has been very soft on Putin's imperialistic motives. So they've been uh, very much like, hey, we're going to do something about it, and then they never end up doing anything about it. This one feels very different. Uh, it feels very different to me than what we were experiencing when Russia invaded Georgia. Because you remember, while we talked a big game in the Obama administration prior to that invasion, right. we didn't do anything. Uh, we, we really didn't do anything. We let them just kind of go in there. We are really upset with you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and we're going to slap some economic sanctions yeah. on you, but that's about it. We might send you a very strongly worded letter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Maybe. You are not invited to the Christmas party at the White House this year. <laughs> Maybe shoot you some dirty looks at the UN conference, but yeah. that was about all we did. This is very different. We have actually given aid to Ukraine. Um, and now we've actually flown troops, like you said, this is unprecedented. Uh, sending out airborne troops in landlocked countries is usually a sign of preeminent invasion. So uh, the way it works is that the Marine Force, which is what I was a part of, the Marine Force is usually utilized as an invasion force because Marines are amphibious, right? We're able to sail to various countries and then invade them from the sea. Uh, when you're talking about airborne units being mobilized, what you're talking about is dropping people into the middle of conflict. That's very strange, right? It doesn't sound like we're right. declaring war. It sounds like we're going to give aid to Ukraine in the form of boots on the ground. So it's a, it's a weird way of mobilizing troops. It's very strange. And the only way that I can interpret it, because this whole thing has kind of confounded me, to be very honest with you, uh, looking at it, I don't understand what the goals and the aims are. So oftentimes when government does things, at least I could say I disagree with their goals and motives, but I understand what they are. I have no idea what the goals and motives of our administration is right now. I have no clue. They haven't made them clear. They haven't told us what victory in Ukraine looks like. They haven't told us what they're trying to accomplish or what they're trying to avoid. But what it seems is they're basically battening down the hatches and saying to Putin, we're going to call your bluff. We're not going to be intimidated or deterred from your threats of detonating a dirty bomb or detonating a nuclear weapon, tactical nuclear weapon upon Ukrainian soil. We're going to call your bluff and we're going to fight you. Uh, the problem is that Vladimir Putin is, he's always been unstable, but there's been rumors and reports that he has some health problems 
and he has dreams of being a figure that goes down in history as being someone important in Russian history. Kind of like so, a Peter the Great or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So you're dealing with someone who essentially has nothing to lose. This has been a huge black eye on him and his campaign. The worst thing that he can do is bow out and listen to one of our, our uh, threats. So unless you had some sort of negotiation occurring at this point that would allow him to bow out in an honorable way, you are looking at him, a desperate man who might do something very desperate in order to maintain some sort of courage. And because he's looking at a democratic regime, he might also feel as though his timetable has moved up, not only because, as the Russians will always say, winter is coming, uh, but also because, like you said, there might be a change in the House and the Senate in America, which doesn't really bode well for him. He might be banking on a softer regime that's not going to call him and not going to uh, really interfere with what he's doing. And so he might move up his timetable. This whole thing has seemed like a bad bet on his perspective, that he bet that nothing would really happen, that Ukraine would just kind of lay down. It seems like he's really miscalculated. Mm -hmm. So who knows when you cage someone like that, who knows what he can do. That's very scary to us. Now, like you said, Scott, we have no assurances as Christians that this would be the beginning of the tribulation. It might just be a giant birth pain. Uh, we might see something really catastrophic happen in the next couple months, but not actually level out or lead to the Antichrist. we got to remember, Hitler rose to power in, in opposition to or in response to the end of World War I and the Weimar Republic. So you have bad policies right. instituted, and then people seek out a strong centralized leader who promises to bring things back to the status quo, right? So... That is also what we should be worried about as Christians is be careful that you're not just voting to bring people into power that you feel like can avoid this, but really be focusing on what are they claiming that they're going to do. If they're claiming to be saviors on the other side, you might be voting in someone worse. So you got to be very, uh, very cautious, very circumspect about this. And remember, as you said, Scott, that our salvation doesn't descend from man, it descends from Christ. We see providence here. We see God at work. Uh, but we also don't understand exactly what God's doing. We understand what his end goal is, which is comforting, but we don't know exactly why he is allowing these things to happen on the stage of the world. And we have to just trust that he has a plan and he has a purpose, and he's working that out providentially through the affairs of men, even evil men. Yeah, and one of the fascinating things to me, and you know, take this for what it's worth, uh, you know, this is just... Uh, grain of salt time, Acts 17, 11, search the scriptures, find out if these things are really so. Yeah. Mm. But from a scriptural point of view, one of the things that's really interesting to me, uh, you know, is that we take a look, like you say, uh, we don't know what the goals and the aims of our, our policy is in Ukraine. Well, it's not just our policy in Ukraine. Mm. It almost seems like we don't know the goals and aims any longer of an awful lot of things true, yeah. in, in our our society, uh, you know, when we take a look at uh, at say uh, the the conduct of uh, say the Department of Justice and the FBI, uh, it almost seems like when you have these organizations going after parents for speaking up against uh, policies at a, at a school board meeting, hmm. uh, you know, labeling them domestic terrorists. To me, if I'm sitting there in the Department of Justice headquarters, I'm going to go, you know, that's not really a great confidence builder for the average person. This is not really 
where we want to be using our power and authority. Uh, when we take a look at border policy, uh, when we take a look at the fact that uh, there really is no restriction hmm. as far as uh, people entering the border, you know, people will, well, wait a minute, uh, you know, what, what happened? Uh, you know, to the Border Patrol? What happened to, you know, the enforcement of these things? Uh, when we, we take a look at, um, you know, institutions across the board, you know, there's a really interesting statement uh, that's made in the Psalms. When the foundations are shaken, mm. what can the righteous do? Mm. And, you know, we take a look, you know, whether it's media, whether it's uh, the, the, the trust that we are actually being told the truth uh, by reputable news sites, uh, any longer, uh, you know, when we take a look even at the, the church where there seems to be scandal after scandal after scandal where prominent individuals are exposed living double lives and people are just like, whoa, you know, I just don't feel like I can trust the church anymore. Can't trust the church. Can't trust the media. Can't trust the government. These seem to be things that that seem to be happening. And, and at first blush, we, you know, I kind of shake my head and go, why in the world is something like this happening? Until you take a step back and tinfoil hat time, take this for what it's worth. If in fact the way is being paved and prepared for a last day's world dominating dictator, you mentioned the Weimar Republic in Germany. What led to the rise of Hitler? Well, it wasn't because there was this increasing uh, standard of rigidity and morality and uh, confidence in government, uh, you know, confidence in the economy, confidence in, you know, say, the, uh, the, uh, the ability of the uh, German government to make hard decisions regarding inflation, you know, and so on. I remember seeing uh, pictures of people literally uh, carrying uh, wheelbarrows of Deutschmarks mm. uh, to the bakery to, to buy a loaf of bread. Right. Uh, you know, when these sort of things happen, uh, you know, we, we, we go, oh, you know, it just seems to be bad luck, you know, inflation going through the roof and, and so on, uh, gas prices, these sort of things. Uh, you know, when I take a step back, it makes me question whether there is a systematic attempt to undermine all of those things that would give people confidence in government and in a society to look out for their best interests. Mm. And when that sort of thing happens, looking back on the, the lessons of post-World War I Germany, the Weimar Republic, if you've ever uh, seen uh, or, or watched the musical Cabaret, uh, that was all about the Weimar Republic hmm. and the decadence that had taken over in Germany at that point. Anything went, traditional values out, out, the, uh, out the door, uh, you know, you know and the, the funny thing is you can push that so far hmm. And, uh, you know, the whole idea of, of uh, having uh, drag queens doing uh, their presentations at schools and public libraries, encouraging kids to be exposed to these sort of things. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about this issue before, but, you know, the president of the United States saying, we're going to defend uh, the right of children to be able to do gender uh, reassignment surgery. Well, that means we're going to defend uh, people injecting kids with uh, with hormones, we really don't know what the long-term effects of these things are going to be, and to not just chemically, but physically castrate these kids. Mm. The President of the United States is saying, I'm in, I'm in favor of that, I'm going to stand for that. That's something I'm entirely supportive of. And if a parent gets in their way, we'll arrest you. Yeah, well, in California, <laughs> they're considering legislation that not only would say 
uh, you know, that's a that's a crime in California. But if you are out of state, they will also try to go after you if you stand against these things. All this is just to say, uh, you know, the foundations of society hmm. appear to be chiseled away and under and being undermined. Uh, and when you take a look at what's going on through that lens and, and say, is there a greater purpose behind all of this? You know, if we are where I think we are prophetically right now, what has to happen is the world has to accept the idea of one strong man to end all strong men right. running the show in the world. And the only time people will willingly give up their rights, their freedoms, a system of checks and balances, like in the Weimar Republic in Germany, is if they lose complete confidence mm. in the ability of society to be able to provide them security and stability. And, uh, you know, we see the crime rates increasing. We see uh, district attorneys uh, kicking uh, criminals out. Uh, you know, convicted of uh, or accused of, of murder uh, with, with good evidence, you know, just saying, well, you know, $5,000 bail, go on out, and then they, they commit another crime. What's going on in New York and all of these things that we see every day? Hmm. What's the purpose behind it? Is it to so undermine the confidence the average person has in the pillars of society that we always relied upon to get to the point where things are so over the top, people feel so insecure, so threatened, so economically unstable, they're going, boy, if someone comes in and can provide a real answer to these things and bust heads and straighten this stuff out, I'll be all in favor of them, even if it means, well, you know, that First Amendment, you know, the Bill of Rights, well, we can set that aside for a while because these are extreme circumstances we're in. If you're ever looking for a way for an antichrist to come on the scene. I think about uh, the famous uh, British historian Arnold Toynbee. He said this way back in the late 50s, and I think he was right then, and I think he's really right now. He said that the world is ripe for the deifying of any new Caesar who will come on the mm -hmm. scene and promise prosperity and security and peace. Mm -hmm. How did the first Augustus Caesar come to power? How did Julius Caesar come to power? Well, it was in response to the decay and the corruption of uh, the way the Roman Republic was being run at that particular time. Mm. Uh, the Senate couldn't be trusted any longer. They were all just feathering their own nests. And, and the difference between the haves and the have-nots uh, was incredibly broad. And so uh, a guy like Julius Caesar uh, came in and said, all right, I'm going to come in and bust heads. Great military general. He busted heads. He provided the, the Pax Romana, if you will, uh, that, uh, that did uh, seemingly solve a lot of the problems, but at what cost? Right. Pretty soon you had Caesar worship being implemented. You had to worship that mm. Caesar as a sign of your absolute allegiance to uh, these kind of dictators. I wonder, I hope I'm wrong, but I wonder if what we are seeing is not accidental, that is a systematic attempt to pave the way for the coming of Toynbee's great Caesar who will promise who provide the world with prosperity and peace. Uh, the Bible has a name for him. He's called the beast. He's called the Antichrist. Mm. And there is going to come a last day's world-dominating dictator who will be able to have the entire world under his thumb militarily, who's like the beast 
He was able to make war with him. And economically, uh, nobody's going to be able to buy or sell without participating not just in his economic system, but also in his religious system. Mm. It's all going to be under one umbrella. That sounds an awful lot like a highly controlled environment to me. And I think the only time that people will give up their rights and their liberties and embrace a highly controlled environment like that is if they feel like they've got no other choice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, I was just looking at a stat a couple months ago. They did a stat on Americans, both Democratic and Republican. And the question was essentially this. What would you rather vote for a weak politician who agreed with your values and upheld the institutions or a strong politician who agreed with your values and was going to remake the institutions in a way that you see fit. So in other words, would you rather have someone who's leaning on the dictatorial side, going to undermine the checks and balances, but they're strong and they're going to get your ideas into And you agree with them. And 70% across the board, Republican and Democrat said, yes, I want the Mm. strong guy. I don't want the weak guy. (laughs) I want the strong guy. Even if it means an erosion of my rights and my freedoms, as long as it's providing me with what I want politically, I'm okay with that, right? So I think you're absolutely right. I think that uh, it is these kind of circumstances that have historically always led to strong men taking over and utilizing their power to great detriment. Um, One one thing that I'll point out, we can kind of toss this around a little bit. I feel like uh, when things like this occur, the two bad directions that Christians can go is they could either slip into fatalistic anxiety of, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Yeah. What are we doing? And then they're over-analyzing everything. Is that the beast? Is this yeah, the beast? Plain, <laughs> plain antichrist, antichrist. Is this guy the antichrist? Yeah. Is this the mark of the beast? Yeah. I don't want to take yeah. the mark of the yeah. beast, man. Like yeah. just absolutely losing their minds and going into fits of convulsions and anxiety, right. uh, melting away. And one of the reasons why we do these prophecy updates is to remind you that there is a plan that is going into effect. I think Dave mm-hmm. Guzik said it at the last conference. He says, things aren't falling apart. They're falling into place, right? They're not going again according to man's plans, but they're going perfectly according to God's plans. And that gives us a lot of comfort. <clears throat> it gives us a lot of security. Uh, but the other way that people can go is just say, well, you know, world's going to pot anyway. Uh, I'm just going to kind of get in my underground bunker. I'm going to start my little new society. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just me writing out the apocalypse in yeah. my safe underground, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to disconnect from the culture. I'm going to disconnect from evangelism, disconnect from the church, <clears throat> and I'm just going to ride this wave out. Yeah, I, I remember there was a, uh, a ministry not too long ago that was uh, promoting the idea of buying flea gold from them, F-L-E-E gold from them because uh that's the only thing you're going to be able to trade with once the antichrist system <laughs> comes into place and this was like oh. a, and it was on christian radio and you could send in for your flea gold and and uh you know send in for you know your seven years of mres meals ready to <laughs> yeah, eat if you want to make a lot of money right now yeah. invest in survival gear right? yeah. you will make you make a lot of money yeah and maybe even start your own survival tactical equipment company yeah make, so so yeah. you know yeah you know and there's saying yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna get uh you know my uh my weapons together my automatic weapons together uh so uh i can uh you know defend my family and, and they go well i'm gonna be a witness during the the tribulation i don't think this rapture is gonna happen i'm gonna be a witness during the tri- you're gonna be a witness by mowing down your neighbor <laughs> when, when he comes to try to get your flea gold or your, your mres or I'll preach you know, the what? gospel while i'm shooting <laughs> yeah, exactly. they might hear repent it. while yeah. holding my ar-15 in your yeah, face and, and, yeah. and i agree with you you know i and i think in a sense programs that we see on tv like the walking dead hmm. 
you know, it's just really funny to me how, you know, variations on that theme uh, of dystopian dictatorships mm -hmm. and society falling apart and what are we going to do when, you know, the, the things that we've counted on are no longer there for us. It's almost like there's this, this preparation, this programming, mm -hmm. this stirring people up in fear uh, so that when someone comes along with a big solution, mm. you know, you're going to be ready to embrace mm. it. Now, one of the things that I think we have to remember, and it goes, I think, really well along with your point, mm. is this. The Antichrist, as such, cannot reveal himself as such until the church is taken away at the event called the rapture. Why do we believe that? Well, in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there's a really interesting statement that's being made about the rise of the Antichrist. You want to find out about the Antichrist? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 will probably tell you more about this guy and, uh, and, and him coming on the scene than you probably even want to know. Well, you probably need to know since it's in, in the Scripture. But in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, we are told that uh, that uh, the Apostle Paul writing here in verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Hmm. Now notice we're told about this restrainer. The one who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is the restrainer? Well, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. moving through what we would call the church. Jesus defined the mission or the effect of the church on the world in Matthew chapter 5 as being the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Well, light keeps darkness at bay. Salt, back in that day and age, wasn't just something you put on something to make it taste better. It was an important preservative. It was so valuable. You've heard of the, the phrase, someone's worth their salt. Mm -hmm. They used to pay Roman legionnaires with a block of salt mm -hmm. because it was considered the only way you could have anything similar uh, that, that would even uh, rival what we call refrigeration in mm -hmm. our day and age. Mm -hmm. you know, and so you know, the, the restrainer is the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. Now, when the church is raptured, when we are uh, taken out, then there is going to be no more restraint. And at that point, the Antichrist as such will be able to reveal himself as such. Now, some people ask me the question, do you believe that the Antichrist is alive today? Yes, I do. I do believe, based upon where we see Israel, where we see the pattern of nations coming up, I do believe that the Antichrist is alive today. Is he active in world politics today? He could very well be. Maybe he's one of these billionaires that uh, you know plays Monopoly with, with real buildings and, and things like that. We don't know. But we do know this. He cannot reveal himself as the satanically inspired Antichrist till we are out of the way. Mm -hmm. So when people freak out about all of this and they start pointing fingers and they say, ooh, you know, here, here's somebody whose politics I don't like. Uh, I think he's the Antichrist. Well, I've been around long enough to see that game played a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it played on both sides. Mm -hmm. 
I've seen, for instance, uh, Ronald Reagan being called the Antichrist because, you know, again, he straightened out the economy and look at this guy and he's so charismatic. And have you ever stopped to think that Ronald Wilson Reagan, all of his three names have six letters? Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Coincidence? Coincidence? <laughs> yeah. I think not. Dun, dun, you know, dun. and, and, and uh, Pastor Bo showed me this book where they have a picture of Reagan white riding uh, uh, an Arabian horse. They say, see, that's Revelation chapter 6 right wow. there. He's riding a white horse. No. Yeah. Reagan. Oh, and he got shot. You know, oh, my gosh. You know, so, you know, people freaked out. Mm-hmm. Mikhail Gorbachev, right? You know, bringing in Glasnost, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the transition of the Soviet Union into, you know, a, a more democratic state. You look at that stain on his head. He's got that wine stain on his head. If you look at it just right, it kind of looks a little bit like... Very antichrist Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the Bible tells us something about antichrists, that there are many little A antichrists. John and 1 John says, you have heard that antichrist is coming... Even so, many antichrists have come. In other words, he has protégés. He has little a antichrists. He's not the big A antichrist. And the antichrists that John warned about weren't politicians. They were people that were proclaiming false doctrine Mm. in the church. That he saw as the real danger, the real enemy. Not Mm. a political strongman coming to power, but individuals that would distort and, and dilute and deny uh, the, the, the truth of God's word. Is, yeah, is it safe days. to speculate that <clears throat> there's always been the enemies having a man in the wings because even the enemy does not know when the time is coming? Well, I, I certainly think so. And, uh, you know, as far as a little A Antichrist that was certainly a preview of coming attractions, Adolf Hitler, I mean, you know, his final solution Hmm. Uh, where he went after the Jews. Fascinating. I saw a program on PBS not too long ago where they talked about Heinrich Himmler's uh, Final Solution 2.0. After they got done with the Jews, they were going to remove Christians because for Hitler and his uh, inner circle's lights, Christianity was far too Jewish in its orientation and and certainly was opposed to the pure uh, Aryan paganism that made the German people great before this horrible dilution took place. Hmm. So you look at all that and you go, whoa. You know, the more you, you see the Holocaust, the more you see uh, the, 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 uh, the German people, you know, just brilliant people, philosophers, scientists, you know, cutting edge, just mesmerized right. by this guy. You know, certainly uh, there was a spiritual dimension to all of that. Right. Mm. He was not the Antichrist, obviously. He was a Antichrist, certainly against the cause of Christ, but certainly a, a picture of how a spiritually empowered politician could capture the will of an entire people and lead the whole world, in a sense, to uh, the, the, the brink of him dominating i mean you know i mean it's the stuff of sci-fi movies but uh you know all all of the nations uh, or the, the the major powers after germany fell fought over hitler's scientists right hmm. you know right. they these were the guys that uh you know eventually uh were the ones that developed uh, you know our nasa program werner von braun a yeah, uh, very loyal member of the nazi party before he uh, suddenly ended up over here and uh, changed his political views uh, ostensibly. But, uh, but you know, when, when you see the brilliance 
of the German people. That brilliance didn't keep them from being spiritually deceived. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to think we're brilliant people and we're beyond all of that. No, we're, we're really not. Well, if, so, the, if at the la- in the last days, if the love of most grows cold and there is a great falling away before the gathering of the saints, gosh, that ought to really convict us to do the opposite, live the gospel, not worry about right. uh, things falling into place, as Peter put it, but uh, live the gospel and to do the opposite of let, do not let your love go, grow cold. Right. Live, live the life of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, I finished reading Paradise Lost last week. First time I've read it. Amazing book. I loved it. You know, um, <laughs> it, It's not meant to be a historical depiction of what actually happened in Satan's rebellion. It's just supposed to be a depiction of rebellion in general. And he utilizes in a poetic sense Dante, the fall yeah. of Satan. Uh, yeah. uh, Milton. Yeah, yeah John Milton, Milton. I should say. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Divine comedy. Divine comedy, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there are a couple of interesting things that I want to pull out in that in relation to this conversation. The first one was he depicted Satan as being a moral relativist which I think is really fascinating. So there's a scene in the beginning where he's in hell and he's lost the war and his cohorts are like, man, we lost. What happened? And he goes, we didn't lose for God left us our intellect. And in our minds, I can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. So he's like, God doesn't tell me what's right and what's wrong. I figure it out on my own. Right. And I assert that will onto the world. And that moral relativistic thought, that rebellious thought is alive and well in our age today, which I think is interesting. But The second thing, and I think even more interesting, is at the end of the book, so when Adam and Eve are led into temptation, they fall, Eve has this fascinating conversation with her husband where she says, well, we're cursed now and we're destined to die. And that means that everything that we touch and everything we interact with is also destined to die. And if we have kids, those kids are destined to die. So we're basically just perpetuating our curse upon the creation. And the best thing we can do is just kill ourselves. And Adam, he responds and he says, Well, no, because God has promised that a redemption will come from your womb. And so the best thing we can do in light of this is actually to live our lives unto him and to seek that redemption that is promised. Mm. So I I love that view because a lot of people today, again, could look at the world and be like, man, humanity is just no great shakes. What is the the purpose of being? (laughs) Like humanity is just terrible. Like why are we living our lives? Why are we investing in any of these things? And just allow their love to grow cold. Why would I share the gospel with such a Christ-rejecting world? Why would I invest in my community? Why would I invest in my institutions? Why would I have kids in a world that's about to end? You know, I'm about to have a kid. You just had twins, you know? And the you idea... You guys didn't get the memo. Yeah, we didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is I forgot that, about the apocalypse. <laughs> the idea is that what Jesus shows is a man who is born into the world specifically to die for our sins, lives his life unto his Father in faithfulness, and through his faithfulness redeems. And so in the same way Christians living under Christ partake in his redemption of the creation. And when he returns, we'll be grateful and rejoice as opposed to being fearful and cowardly, right? So remember, Jesus tells parables of people saying, like, if you knew when your master would come, you would just grow lazy and you would would beat your fellow servants. He's like, you don't know when he's coming. So what? Do the work that he has set out before you knowing that life and being are worthwhile and that life can be redeemed through the power of Christ. And we don't know when he'll return, but if you're doing what he's called you to do in life, once he providentially returns, you'll be very happy to see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? and, and, yeah, and I mean, the, and the question always comes up, um, well, what if you're wrong? You know, what if uh, Jesus doesn't return for another 200 years? Well, really, that doesn't change anything on a couple of levels. First of all, we are living in a 
post-Christian world. We need mm-hmm. to understand that. Uh, and that shouldn't uh, discourage us. I love the fact that we're going through the book of Acts on Sunday morning mm-hmm. because that's the gospel in a, in a pre-Christian world, if you will, yeah. uh, you know, a thoroughly paganized world. And so if you want uh, steps to be able to uh, practically minister in a, in a mindset, in a worldview that is uh, really divul- uh, divorced from biblical reality, we got it. You know, and, and we can take our cues from New Testament Christians because we're living in very similar times. The other thing is this. What if Jesus doesn't return in 200 years, for 200 years? Doesn't change anything for me. Mm. You know, I, I'm, I'm famous about this. I had my Beatles birthday this, this uh, year. I turned 64. Uh, and, and so say I live another 30 years. Say I live to be 94 uh, years old. You know what that tells me? If Jesus doesn't come back between now and then, I still have only 30 years mm. before I see Jesus, right? Well, unfortunately, we've uh, run out of time. Uh, thank you so much. It was, what, a, what a great discussion. And uh, if you did leave a question and we missed it, uh, tune in tomorrow. We do catalog these questions and we will get to it. So thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Pastor Scott and Pastor uh, Peter, for interesting dialogue. You know, live the gospel. And that's what, uh, in, in the end... And keep looking up. And keep looking up, and that's what it's all about. So thank you. We'll see you next time. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.